Welcome to another episode of our series of podcasts on the British influence in the River Plate region. Uruguay's relationship with Great Britain goes far back in time. British merchants forged trading ties with the inhabitants of this land when it was still a colony. Britain was instrumental in the formation of Uruguay as an independent republic in 1828. And despite the decades of internal strife that followed independence, intrepid British entrepreneurs hunkered down in Uruguay, setting up shop in Montevideo or settling on estancias in rural areas of the country. When political stability was achieved by the end of the 19th century, Great Britain looked towards Uruguay as an investment destination. And with those investments came a relatively small but influential number of British immigrants. A descendant of one such immigrant is Richard Empson. Richard is Uruguayan and is currently the president of the British Society in Uruguay. We sat down with Richard and started by asking him about his family background and how the Empsons ended up in Uruguay. Well, um, the first one to come to Uruguay was my great-grandfather, but he was here very briefly. Um, he had business, agro-business, um, and he came here with his wife at the end of the 19th century. And they were very happy here, but they had an incident which was very unhappy, which made them go back to the UK. Basically, their first daughter, who would have been my great-grand-aunt, I suppose, uh, she was murdered. This was an unfortunate incident involving Cowhand, who had been fired, who came back unexpectedly, and he was annoyed about the whole thing. And basically, he, he killed her. She was a little girl, she was two or three years old, and threw her in a ditch somewhere. And of course, this upset my great-grandmother a lot, and she decided to go back to the UK. But my grandfather, who was born in the UK again, um, grew up with the stories of Uruguay and, and always hearing his father talk about what the countryside was like here, and, and he, he always liked that. And so when he joined, he joined the Navy when he was 15 uh, to fight in the First World War, which in itself was quite a story, but not for this forum, I suppose. Um, and when he finished the war, the ex-combatants were given the choice of pieces of land as a reward in the colonies. And although Uruguay was not formally a colony, because he'd always heard the stories of Uruguay, he asked if it could be Uruguay. And so he was given a plot of land, which, if I'm not mistaken, would have been somewhere in the department of Rio Negro. So he came down here with that in mind and with a whole lot of ideas of what his father had told him as a child. My grandfather was a gambler, and so on arrival at the port in Montevideo, he uh, basically got into some poker game. If I'm not mistaken, it's in the former Parque Hotel, um, yeah, Parque Hotel the, one, the one where the Mercosur building is currently, and he bet and he lost. And so soon after arrival, he was basically a very young Englishman, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was 20 years old, with nothing, uh, and he didn't know the language. But he had been brought up as a farmer, so he was good at that. So he looked for contacts through the British community and was given a job somewhere, if I'm not mistaken, in the department of Soriano and started working. Uh, he was good at it. Uh, he, he was a people's person. So he was, even without speaking Spanish, he became very popular amongst the peones. Uh, he became the, the, the capataz of the land he was working on, and he made a career of it, slowly, slowly, making money, and eventually buying his own estancia several years later. 
he loved Uruguay. Uh, he was very, very uh, addicted to everything Uruguayan. So much so that uh, his name was Christopher, Christopher Ampson. But uh, here he was known as Don Cristobal. Uh, and he was very, very friendly with a lot of people up country. He didn't live much in Montevideo, at least not as a young person, as a young man. So he didn't really interact that much with the British community here in, in Montevideo. He lived most, mostly in Rio Negro, in Soriano, and in Colonia, in different estancias. The largest one he managed was Los Cerros de San Juan, which is a very, was, and still is, a very big estancia belonging to the Booths uh, on, on the river Uruguay, close to, to Colonia, to the city of Colonia, uh, which is literally across the river from the current presidential estancia. Eventually, as I said, he bought his own land that curiously was uh, in Mbopicua, which is where now the UPM plant stands, a pulp mill, and they were very happy there. But he contracted TB, tuberculosis, still fairly young, and basically was told that he was probably going to die, and the only thing that could cure him was mountain air. So he and his wife, I think my father was born at that stage, they went to live in Córdoba, in Argentina. And that's where he, he spent about four or five years. And to keep him going, living in a hotel, he basically had to sell his estancia. With the little he had left when he came back, he bought a house in Carrasco and spent the rest of his life in Montevideo. My father was born in the countryside, in Mercedes actually, in Soriano, and lived there as a young man. Then he, he went to school in Argentina and then came down to Montevideo to study Ingeniería Agrónoma in, in the Facultad de Universidad de la República here in Montevideo. He curiously uh, met my mother at the wedding of the then president, Luis Valle. His daughter was getting married to my mother's cousin. And my father and a group of his friends gate crashed. And there's where he met my mother, who is of French-Italian extract, and so then moved to Montevideo and lived here ever since. I was born in Montevideo and have lived here most of my life, except for about 10 years when I lived abroad. Next, we asked Richard Emson to tell us a bit about the British Society in Uruguay, mainly its history and mission. The British Society basically is a charitable organization. It was set up uh, literally 100 years ago, next year we're 100 years old, by the then British minister, what would now be called the ambassador, but in those days they were called ministers, who knew that there were a lot of British organizations in Montevideo, in Uruguay, but they didn't seem to have any coherence. They didn't seem to gel together. Each one was independent and didn't have much to do with, with the others. Um, we do have, for example, a British cemetery, a British hospital, British schools, uh, the Anglo-Uruguayan Cultural Institute. Well, now there are even things like two pipe bands and a theater company and et cetera, et cetera. When all these organizations, some of them st existed back then and there were others who have now disappeared but existed at the time, all British, but didn't have anything in common. So the British minister of the time thought it was a good idea to have an organization that would be overarching, that would bring them all together somehow. And so they set up the British Society as the main non-government British organization in the country, um, which was supposed to bring all the others together through what is known as the British Society Council. 
The British Society Council gets together even to this day, once at least once a year. Back then it was more than once a year. Um, and basically they, um, each organization gives a report on how it's been doing, what the plans for the next year are, and if any of them is in trouble, it is the British Society who tries to find a solution, sometimes financial, sometimes otherwise. At the same time, we run two important charities. One is a home for the elderly, British community elderly, and another is what we call the Benevolent Fund, which is a fund which helps British citizens or people from the British community who cannot fend for themselves financially for different reasons and fallen on hard times, and so we help them out. So that is the second commitment of the British Society, which is a charity. And the third, which is um, actually equally important, is that we are the gel that keeps together the British community. So basically we do a lot, we have a lot of events that we organize ourselves and other events that are organized by each one of the individual societies that belong to the council that we promote to try and bring people together, to try and, and keep a British community alive. We then jumped to the present and asked Richard about the main challenges that the British society faces nowadays. This is what Richard had to say. Well, the main challenge is, is quite clear and is the fact that the British community is dwindling. It's dwindling for two reasons. A, there are ever less British um, expats living in Uruguay. And on the other hand, the British community is slowly, slowly becoming dissolved into Uruguayan society because people who were the children of British expats are now the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren of British expats, so now have become very Uruguayan. There are many who don't even have British surnames anymore, and even those who do don't necessarily find affinity uh, with, with anything British. An example, for example, is uh, one of the players who plays in our national football team, Sebastian Coates, who's actually known as Sebastian Coates. Uh, and who doesn't really feel any closeness with the British community. I'm not blaming him at all, and he's just an example. The only reason I mention him by name is because he's notorious, um, but there are lots of them. And so that is our main challenge. The challenge is that the young people of former British families are becoming ever more Uruguayan, don't see very much affinity with anything British, and so don't actually come to the British community events at all. In fact, I would say that today at least half of the British community is not made up of British uh, people from British descent. They are uh, Anglophiles, basically people who just have an affinity to things British and who don't have any family ties to the, to the UK. When asked how to revert the situation, Richard presented a number of initiatives that the British Society is taking to do so. We are working hard to try and revert that. We are trying to find activities to set up events which are of interest to young people to try and bring them back somehow. Um, that we're doing through talks, after-office events, um, sporting activities. It, it's difficult because we haven't yet uh, hit the nail on the head as to what young people would like to see the British community do to make them want to come to our events. We have had uh, relative success in some aspects, but we haven't yet really um, being able to tackle this problem full on. Uh, we are hoping to keep working on it and, and to revert the situation in the, in the coming years. I consider that the main challenge of my presidency in the British society. 
Over the years, the British society and its members have undoubtedly left their mark in Uruguay. And despite the fact that, as Richard mentions, its numbers may be dwindling and that the British presence in Uruguay may not be as important as it once was, the truth is that a lot is still being done by the British society's enthusiastic and committed members to continue leaving its mark in Uruguay. So, that's it for this episode on the British influence in the River Plate region. Be sure to check in for more episodes in the coming weeks, and thanks for joining us.